It's time for episode 456 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, June 22nd, 2022. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that's running up that road, running up that hill, running up that building. I am one of your hosts, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across the internet by my good pal, my dungeon buddy, it's Dan the Man Morin. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing well. Are we the Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible of podcasts? Is that what's happening? I was hoping you wouldn't get my reference. Um, <laughs> uh, it, so we're making a deal with God, actually. Um, oh, okay. Anyone who's watching Stranger Things at this moment uh, will will sort me. of get not that. Me. So uh, I'm just looking for my people, basically, is what this uh, intro is all Sorry about. Sorry to disappoint, Micah. <laughs> uh, speaking of looking for my people, uh, I am excited to say that we are joined today by the co-host of Unsolicited Fatties Talk Back and the Technically Queer Podcasts, as well as an Atlassian admin. It's Brian Guffey. Welcome back, Brian. Well, thank you. I mean, listen, we don't just have to watch Stranger Things. If you are a queer person anywhere, you know Kate Bush. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and to my left this week, it is the developer of such fine apps as Peacalc, Dice by Peacalc, and other secret apps you may not know yet. It's James Thompson. Welcome back, James. You're not supposed to talk about the secret app. Uh, I'm talking to you with half my tongue still numb from the dentist, so I apologize if I sound a bit extra Sean Connery today. I was going to say, you've got this really strong accent. I don't know. What is yeah. that? I honestly didn't notice, um, but now I'm going to be listening very closely. Anywho, uh, you should all listen very closely as we get the show underway. You know how it works. We've got four topics in just 30 minutes, so I'll kick things off. Uh, my question for you is a bit of therapy for myself. Uh, I would like all of you to be honest. Have you ever made any frivolous in-app purchases? In-app purchases that you consider to be frivolous? Brian, we'll start with you. I have a habit of purchasing subscriptions to coding apps on the iPhone that I don't use. <laughs> so I definitely, like, I'll be like, ooh, I, I did something. I got a little bit of extra money. Let's spend $50 on something like Nemo and then, like, use it for two weeks and then stop. So I have absolutely made frivolous tech in-app purchases before, more than I think I would like to admit. Uh, recently, I was leveling up a D&D character and I wanted access to an item that I didn't have. So I paid $1.99 on D&D Beyond to get that <laughs> item on my character, oh, <laughs> which I definitely felt a little bad about because I'm like, oh, I mean, it's it's a fake thing. There's <laughs> no tangible benefit whatsoever other than I can just put it on my character sheet for my <laughs> character. Uh, I definitely felt a little bit embarrassed by that. But I was like, ah, buck ninety nine. I can, I, I can swing it. It's going to be okay. Other than that, I mean... I don't know, James. You're not selling virtual dice yet, right? Like, that no. I be mean, the next like, uh, that's a good idea, but uh. there you go. Well, I mean, then uh, you can you can use that to subsidize your frivolous purchases. How about that? Well, I mean, I did very briefly subscribe to one of the face changing photo editing apps, which are so bad on so many Ooh. levels. Mm. It's still strangely fascinating, but talk about sort of unrealistic beauty standards when they turn you into a composite of a million supermodels. Other than that, though, um, I think the worst I got was playing the Elder Scrolls 
Blades game on the iPhone. Mm. I put something like £40 into that stupid game, unlocking loot box chests and building a little town, even though I could clearly see all the tricks they were playing on me to encourage me to spend money. Yes. And eventually... I deleted it from my phone. Yes. I bought yet another copy of Skyrim to really show Bethesda. <laughs> and nice. Well done. I, I played that for another 100 hours instead. But I think almost the entire class of free-to-play games out there could be put in the same category. If your team has like dedicated psychologists on staff mm-hmm. for figuring out mm. the best way to make people spend money, I think you are terrible people. Uh, uh, wait, this was supposed to be the lighthearted question, and I've gone dark <laughs> no. already. I bought, I bought a lot of hats in Among Us. <laughs> no, this that is exactly <laughs> where I wanted you to go with this, because I have to admit my shame. Um, there is a stupid, stupid app called Homescapes. And in this app, you it's a game, and you do this little sort of puzzle matching thing. And as you do those puzzle matching things, then you get uh, stars that you can spend to remodel a house. And there's this whole cute story about the main character and his family and they're remodeling the parent's house. And then they uh, end up having other areas, other properties uh, that they own. Um, and you remodel those as well. And you get choices for how you want to do the remodel. And that that part's a lot of fun. What's not fun is how it works against my psychology, because <laughs> I have put a stupid amount of money into that game, even though, as Dan was talking about, it's I know it's not it's not real and it will never amount to anything in real life that's worth anything. It is only in existence within this one app. And the logical part of my brain gets that. But when I am uh, playing through and I don't get to the end of a level and I can pay 99 cents to keep going and not lose all of the great stuff that I just got, or I can just close the app... Four times out of five, I just pay the 99 cents and keep going. And I am ashamed to say that I have put probably the equivalent of 40 pounds into the game. And um, yeah, I wish that I didn't. And at the same time, like, I, I, I like the game. So I just needed to know that I wasn't alone. That's what this boiled down to. I was, I was feeling a little bit, uh, ashamed and I wanted to get rid of that shame. And I think that you all helped me feel a little bit better. Uh, at least that we all <laughs> experiencing the shame. If not, that we're all okay with the, the, <laughs> the purchases that we've made. Uh, let us move on to our next topic, which comes from Brian. Chirp, chirp. Twitter's bringing back its in-person developer conference after seven years. Could it be that Twitter is actually going to get better? Speaking of in-person conferences, though, what tech do you rely on in the age of COVID to make you feel comfortable at in-person conferences and events? I have actually been to some in-person conferences and events. Uh, I would say the number one piece of tech, if one could call it such, is a great mask. Yes. Uh, I have got both uh, N95s and KN95s that I've worn recently while traveling to conferences and at conferences themselves. Um, Other great tech include a hat and sunscreen, because being outdoors is definitely better. (laughs) but in terms of traveling as well, um, I, you know, a lot of the travel tech that I've dealt with, I think 
uh, translates well into even this age. I, I carry a couple extra battery packs with me wherever I go. Those just little like, you know, USB powered ones so I can recharge my devices on the go. That's been even more critical since I don't necessarily want to be sitting inside somewhere where I have to recharge. Um, and, you know, I'm helped along by the fact that things like the M1 MacBook Air have really great battery life, uh, which has definitely saved my bacon. Uh, and also, you know, my AirPods Pro, I think, are just been huge for letting me not just go bananas on a flight though i'm stuck on a plane for six hours like uh that has greatly improved my travel experience james what about you as for feeling comfortable at in-person conferences well i don't feel comfortable in my own house so i'm not about to leap on a plane and mingle with an international audience right now um i mean i wish i did because it would be lovely to see everybody in person but even just this past WWDC, our own uh, Mike Hurley has been a cautionary tale that COVID is still very much with us. Um, he didn't get it at the conference, though, just to point out. He got it before he came. <laughs> yeah, but that, it's not like an ex- WWDC exclusive. No, um, no. You can only get it there. <laughs> I, I, no, I'm not going to go into what the Apple COVID would be like. Anyway, it's the dub dub stream. Yes. Um, I mean, like uh, Dan, I have a variety of masks of different strengths, depending on the, the situation that I find myself in. And, you know, lateral flow tests and all those certainly count as technology. Uh, but really, I would like a transporter with fully working biofilters before I go back anywhere. One of the things that uh, my colleague uh, just got, Leo Laporte, um, is has to get on a plane soon and he got this and I wish I could remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it's a CO2 uh, monitor and it's a little, it's a little square and it has a, um, an e-ink display so that the bat that takes two AA batteries and it'll last a really long time. And the idea is just being mindful of how stuffy the air is around you, depending on where you are, if you're in an indoor space or an outdoor space, um, and then using that to determine if you may need to leave the space. If it's very, if the, if the CO2 level is very, very high, then you know that they're not doing a proper, that is it. Thank you, Brian. The RNET 4, um, we'll include a link in the show notes. And so that way you can just be mindful of if the, uh, CO2 level is super high, you know that they're probably not doing air exchange very frequently or that the breezeway is not very good in whatever space you're in. And that's just something to be mindful of in terms of sharing air with other people. So um, I've considered picking up something like that. I do have a few sort of HomeKit enabled CO2 monitors outside of that that I suppose I could take with me if I wanted to. But this is specifically made to uh, measure CO2 levels in the air on the go. So um, yeah, that, I think that's one bit of technology that could be helpful. Uh, I'm curious, Brian, if you have any tech that you're using for for this kind of thing. I recently upgraded my mask from a KN95 or N95 to an elastomeric P100. The standard folks make them, but the one that I use that I really love is by GVS. Um, it's the GVS Eclipse. I'll drop a link in. But um, I have a fat face. <laughs> and what that means is that most of the regular masks don't really like seal to it effectively. Mm. And the elastomeric masks are made to do this. And so I have uh, the GVS Ellipse P100. It makes me look like I am in a space controlled, uh, like I'm in a space movie or something. 
Um, it's a pretty purple and blue, and it's got P100 filters, which are better than N95s. Uh, the other bonus of this is that it's very easy to hear through. So I use this mask a lot. It's really uh, great and helpful for me. The other things, uh, the other tech, uh, the CO2 monitor is a great idea. I agree. In fact, often you can use it if you're in a situation to point out to like the folks running a conference that maybe they need to open up windows or something. And then the other things, two other things that I would recommend is a portable air purifier that you can carry with yourself on the plane mm. to sort of like block um, if, in case you're sitting next to somebody directly. And then the last one that I would use is just, for me, the Balance app. I get really anxious over COVID and everything, and having something like the Balance app to help me meditate and calm down is great. All right, folks, with that, we have reached halftime. So let us take a quick break before we come back with the rest of the show. If you're a software engineer, then you have probably been there. It's 9 p.m. You're finally unwinding from work. You pull out that bubble pipe. You put on your fuzzy bunny slippers and you relax into that big old chair. But then your phone buzzes with an alert. Something's broken and your mind's already racing at what could be wrong. Do you have slow running queries? Did you introduce a bug in your last deploy? Uh, now the whole team is scrambling from tool to tool. They're all casting aside their bubble pipes looking for the answer. They're messaging person after person to find and fix the issue. So many companies are doing all of that when they wouldn't need to if they would just use New Relic. New Relic combines 16 different monitoring products that you'd normally buy separately, so engineering teams can see across their entire software stack in one place. More importantly, you can pinpoint issues down to the line of code so you know exactly why the problem happened and you can resolve it quickly. That's why the dev and ops teams at DoorDash, you've heard of them, GitHub, uh, yeah, Epic Games, and more than 14,000 other companies use New Relic to debug and improve their software. So whether you run a cloud-native startup or a Fortune 500 company, it takes just five minutes to set up New Relic in your environment. That next 9 p.m. call is just waiting to happen. So get New Relic before it does. And you can get access to the whole New Relic platform. And this is wild. 100 gigabytes of data for free forever with no credit card required either. Sign up at newrelic.com slash clockwise. That's N-E-W-R-E-L-I-C dot com slash clockwise. And of course, our thanks to New Relic for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, back from the break, which means it's time for Dan's topic. So Google has been ramping up pressure on Apple to add support for RCS, which is a new texting standard backed by Google and many of the wireless carriers. Apple so far has not found these arguments particularly persuasive. My question for you is in the name of interoperability, is Apple right to hold out on this uh, or should it be thinking about adopting this system and perhaps, you know, bowing on this one? James, I'm sure you have some insight. I do think Apple should be more pragmatic and adopt it as a last resort fallback and put most of their efforts into making iMessage vastly superior for iPhone to iPhone communications. Their current policy, all it really does is drive people to use cross-platform messaging systems like WhatsApp instead. So really, they are losing either way, so they might as well make things better for the users. RCS does sound like it's something of a mess in terms of how it's run, with some carriers providing their own servers, but Google's own becoming like a de facto standard. And my understanding is that at the moment, only one-to-one -one messages are end-to-end -end encrypted, or at least can be, but group chats currently aren't, although it's planned for later in the year and so on. So it might be worth waiting a while to see what the, the how that all plays out. 
the bottom line, though, is that it's at least perceived as being better financially for Google if there's interoperability and better financially for Apple if there isn't. So until that changes, I imagine Apple is going to fight regulation from places like the EU that want them to to force them to put in interoperability. Um, and they'll do that much like they've been fighting the App Store rulings. I have a sort of mental friction that I experience when I am texting someone who is on SMS. And it's not because I'm anti-Google or anti-this or anti-that. It is that I have this concern that the message is not reaching the other person that I don't have when I send a an iMessage. And Also, I wonder, is this GIF or this image or this video that I'm trying to send too big? How is it going to show on the other person's device? Is it going to uh, cause an error? All of these things that that pop up in my head that also apply to like email, because some people's email programs or the system that they use because it's through their company uh, can't accept files over a certain size. So then they don't end up getting the message that I sent or it goes into some, you know, horrible folder, all of those kinds of things. Uh, all result in me being worried about sending a message whenever I send a uh, a text that is green. And so in that way, I do wish that Apple would adopt a technology that the rest of the industry seems to be using for the sake of being able to communicate specifically with those folks. And I don't really feel on the face of it that it's just a straight up, we're doing this specifically to keep people from being on Android or being convinced to go to Android. I see it more as we've got so many resources that we can uh, make use of at a given time. And our priority is not interoperability with Android. So that is still not great, but I don't think it's the same as just being like, we straight up are trying to make it so that nobody wants to switch to Android, which I think is a whole different uh, kind of kind of uh, mindset. Uh, I'm curious to hear Brian's thoughts on this. RCS is actually a carrier standard. And again, do we want the carriers uh, being in charge of uh the standard that we use i mean google they may have agreed to like let google sort of be in charge of it now i mean the carriers have to stay on board to play ball what i would prefer to see is something between apple adopt rcs or apple open source or like extend imessage how do we actually take rcs and take imessage and make them work with each other so there's some sort of relay or interchange or something that addresses that. I mean, we already know that the platform makers have the ability to make interoperability work. We saw this when Google rolled out the ability for people to be able to actually get the correct um, reactions when we tapped on, when we use our reactions on iOS so that we don't get the weird so-and-so liked the message when there's somebody with Android mm-hmm. in our group chats. So we know that this can be done, but I don't think, I think there's a middle way. And I'm just not sold on going all in on any messaging that Google is promoting simply because everybody else is doing it. Um, I think there is a place for having a higher standard. And I think that iPhone users are served by that, that standard. 
it's frustrating to be stuck on SMS because it is sort of the 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 common lowest common denominator. I want to put the emphasis on lowest, right? <laughs> like SMS was designed as a hack, basically, you know, using the control channels and stuff. Like it has not been designed for all the things that we have lumped onto it. So it does seem as though there needs to be something built on top of that. It is frustrating from both ends because uh, one i don't think google should be unilaterally the one sort of driving this i mean it is a big platform but as brian was saying they're not the only people who have a you know skin in the game here so i think you know having something more either interoperable or something i I will say i've been heartened by the amount of stuff that apple has signed on to from an industry-wide perspective recently things like Passkeys and Matter and all these big sort of consortiums where they have really the big players have come and be like, hey, we need to make this stuff work together because it is frustrating. And not only is it bad for users, it's bad for us. Uh, And I think messaging is going that way. I'm glad that some of the kinks in terms of like having Android users on group chats have been worked out, but it really felt like this was not a problem we should be having in 2022. So uh, mostly I'd like to see us avoid the problem that we've basically created for ourselves with like email, which hasn't changed in like 45 years. So uh, I don't think that necessarily Apple should build RCS support in, but I do think I agree with most of you that interoperability is something that should be focused on and maybe there's another method to getting to the end result that we're looking for but thank you all for your thoughts about that let us go to our last topic which comes from james so there's been a lot of talk in the last few weeks about ai uh, from whether google's chatbot is sentient to the various nightmare pictures being generated by dali uh, do you believe that these are actually a sign of true artificial intelligence? And if so, why are you so wrong? <laughs> <laughs> so, James, this is an interesting one because uh, I was—I can't remember where, but I was listening to a conversation about this. And uh, one of the things that the, the conversation where the former Google engineer was uh, claiming that the uh, chat bot dealy was sentient. One of the conversations surrounded the fact that, you know, the argument was this is not an actual uh, artificial intelligence. It is taking the millions of bits of input from different conversations and using those to form a response that it thinks that the uh, person who is talking to it would want to hear. Uh, It is, you know, sort of trying to please the person on the input in that way. Then the argument was made how is that different from what we do? When I am determining what I'm going to say, I am using the whole of my experience, the whole of the knowledge that I have available to me to form a response. And so what separates the way that I'm doing it from the way that a computer is doing it? It is a fascinating conversation, and uh, I think it's only going to get more interesting, more fascinating as uh, these these different AI systems improve upon the, the the technology that we have right now. So I don't know if I answered your question, but I'm done with my response. Brian, your turn. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just like the pictures, y'all. Amen. <laughs> I've made some great 
pictures. We've been watching My Hero Academia. And so I have made some very, very funny pictures, like by putting in things about Bakugo and Midoriya. Um, it's very hilarious. Like the two of them just like sitting, sitting on a bench and like the nightmare fuel that comes back is so wonderful. So is this true artificial intelligence? I think the bigger part is something that you're getting at, Micah, which is we don't know mm-hmm. what true artificial intelligence even is. We have a supposition and a theory, but you don't really know what artificial intelligence is until you actually have artificial intelligence. So until then, we're mostly just guessing. I think it's fascinating. Uh, one of my co-hosts on another show was playing around with the um, I think OpenAI, where you can give it a prompt and it will write something. And it wrote a description. He he told it to write a pitch for a podcast. Didn't it specify anything other than it was a, like, here's the subject. And it not only came up with this amazing pitch, but came up with a name, a perfect name for this show that was not in use anywhere else, which blew my mind. <laughs> so I don't know what is going on in terms of like the... Uh, Here's the problem. We're, we're arguing about something that's fundamentally philosophical in nature, probably mm-hmm. more than technological. And that is a lot harder to draw bright lines around. So there are lots of tests and reasons that you could judge something as artificial intelligence or not artificial intelligence. I tend to think we're not quite there yet. But the newest crop of these things has definitely pushed some boundaries. The other one that I love is a story that came about uh, using the Dolly, um, you know, picture generating one. Somebody gave it a made up word that they had just come up with and it generated all these pictures of this like nightmare beast, but the pictures were all similar and that was terrifying. It like created a thing that didn't exist. (laughs) And again, to me, that is wild i just don't even uh, even as somebody who is a science fiction author i struggle trying to codify this one way or the other because uh, i I, yeah what do you judge what is the actual test for what how do you make this determination and brian i think you're right i don't think we're going to know until we look back at some point and go oh yeah that was that was probably it we just it took a while (laughs) for us to realize it yeah that was james tell us why we're all wrong so firstly i'm not saying that you can't create a real artificial intelligence although this is something that i have heard is five to ten years away since at least the 90s when i did artificial intelligence at university but none of these particular systems that we're talking about are intelligent in any way they're purely mathematical models that've been trained with vast amounts of data to appear intelligent and if you feed the entirety of human communication into a chatbot it can answer most human questions in an apparently lucid manner but it doesn't remember anything from one moment to the next it doesn't have any context it doesn't really know anything it's certainly not alive uh, though it does of course reflect all the human biases that you have on the internet and they you can filter all that information out from the training data. Dali is as well. It's not creating pictures out of thin air. If you show it a million pictures of Tim Cook and a million pictures of the moon, it can make a bad Photoshop of Tim Cook on the moon. People are credulous enough that they think that these party tricks are a sign of a real of real thinking behind these algorithms. And that's a problem because these impenetrable black boxes are currently being used to like deny people loans, mm-hmm. decide which YouTube video to show next to your child, generally making what are life or death decisions. 
And that is the stuff that we should be concerned about right now in like AI research and ethics, not worrying about whether we've accidentally created Skynet. All right. With that, uh, we're just about to the end, but I've got a bonus topic for you. I'm curious, what is a skill or body of knowledge you don't currently have that you would like to learn? Brian, we'll start with you. I mean, it's such a boring answer, but I'm also kind of beginning to learn it now, which is software development. I spent years being like, I could never do this. And finally, I just decided to like go about it my own way. And I'm just like learning little bits of all of the languages at once being like, okay, one day this will add up to something. So, I mean, that's the thing. I would just like to be able to say, I have this idea and now I can make it happen. And I guess maybe that's also magic, Micah. So <laughs> magic or software development, I'm not sure which. <laughs> For me, uh, d- drawing art skills, I have zero. I don't, I can't draw and I wish I could because I have ideas for things and I wish I could sort of put them on paper, but I'm just, I'm very, very bad. I just don't have the spatial sense for it or something. I've got to say, you know, knowing when to start working because I'm just such a dedicated worker, really. Oh my oh God, my Lord. <laughs> you're fired. <laughs> I mean, I do sometimes wonder if I've reached an age where I can just declare that I've learned enough. My brain is full. No more new ideas. Thank you. That's fine. That's fine, James. Uh, for me, it actually, uh, Dan, we were thinking the same way. I also want, I, I uh, there's a, a book and a workbook that I have that I have not uh, opened yet. And it's called, I think it's called Drawing with the Right Side of Your Brain. Um, mm. And it is for people who are, who feel that they are not artists or uh, drawers. And I just have, yet, I really want to give it my full attention. And so I have not gotten around to it yet. But uh, yeah, I've got, I've got so many friends who are just amazing artists. And there are times where I wish that I could make something by just drawing it and it actually looks good. And, and it's something that I can be proud of rather than just some stick figures, which is what is the uh, ultimate extent of my my drawing ability. So uh, that's mine as well. All right. If you would like to get ad-free episodes with an extra overtime topic every week, you can become a member of Clockwise. You just go to relay.fm slash clockwise and sign up. It's just five bucks a month or $50 a year, and you'll help support the show. In this week's overtime topic, we discuss home theater setups. We have reached the end of the show, and all that remains is for us to thank our guests. James Thompson, thank you so much for being here. I'm glad I survived this podcast with my tongue intact, uh, if not my dignity. (laughs) And Brian Guffey, thank you so much for joining us. You think I'm Brian Guffey, but I could be an artificial intelligence. (gasps) Oh, no! (laughs) It's only a matter of time. I am Micah. We'll be back next week. But until then, we remind everybody listening out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody.